Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hi, this is Josh Levine, and this is Slate's sports podcast, Hang Up and Listen, for the week of March 20th, 2017. On this week's show, we'll talk about the opening weekend of March Madness, which got a lot more fun and manic as proceedings moved along and also as Duke started to lose. We'll also talk about the World Baseball Classic, particularly American center fielder Adam Jones's leaping catch, which was the most patriotic baseball moment since Rick Monday snatched away that American flag <laughs> from someone trying to light it on fire in center field at Dodger Stadium in 1976. And after that, you'll want to stay around for some special programming that I will not spoil, but involves two of us paying tribute to one of us. Joining me in Washington, D.C. is Stefan Fatsis, author of the books Word Freak and A Few Seconds of Panic. Stefan, I will not be paying tribute to you today. Really? Because I had another mm. really good Scrabble tournament over the weekend. My rating mm. is Stephen, the I will not be paying tribute to you today. In the last 15 years. You are not the father. Uh, and joining us from New York is Mike Pesca, the host of Slade's daily podcast, The Gist. And I am saddened. Well, to Josh, report. before you say something, I yes. will say this We will not be paying tribute to you. <laughs> Someone needed to say it. Can Thank the deft listener figure out who's being paid tribute to? So we've been doing this show together since 2009, and it's been an excellent run. And Mike has uh, decided that today, this episode, will be his hang up and listen finale. He's going to focus on uh, what are you going to? What are you going to focus on, Mike? What do your you children, your family. You don't do this. Your children. I'd like to spend more time with your family, Josh and Stefan. Your family. I think there's a lot of Scrabble potential there. Plus, certain members of your family uh, go go traveling around the United States to find real stories of Americans. That's that's <laughs> who wouldn't want to spend more time with your family, Stefan. That's but what I'm going to do. You're still doing the gist. Oh, that's and my other family, my radio family. Don't my fight, podcast family, my actual family. Mm-hmm. I will be spending some time listening to uh, the records of Sly and the Family Stone. Mm-hmm. 
I will be watching many old episodes of Family Ties, mm-hmm. including the one where uh, Stephen Keaton won an award for his documentary, Paramecium We're Splitting. Can I recommend that favorites. you also tune into the Osmond Family Christmas? Mm-hmm. You'll have time for freakly, that. A but okay. Yeah. Among the yeah. families you will not be joining, Manson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... That's happening. The family of man, I believe, though. Not Manson, but man, yes. That's happening. We love Mike Pesca, um, but you know, when, you, past tense. when you love someone, you have to go let them host their daily podcast, mm-hmm. as the maxim mm-hmm. goes. So uh, Stefan and I, will we'll be here, and we're going to think about what we want to do with the show. We're already thinking about it. If you have thoughts, we would love you to share them with us. We have a survey that's up. It's live now. You can find it at slate.com slash survey. So hopefully nobody else at Slate will have put in another survey because that's not a very specific URL. It's just slate.com slash survey. As of this moment, it's a survey about the podcast. Hang up and listen. What you like about it. What you think we should do. Uh, yeah. We're going to. And I should caution everyone that uh, we're, we will acknowledge that. We do have the demographic of white men in their late 40s mm-hmm. covered and white men under 40 covered. I realize by leaving the demographic of white men in their mid 40s, <laughs> that's taking a hit. So you should worry. Wait, 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 you should pay I've got the demographic of white men over 50 covered. Oh, you're over 50. Yes. Very diverse. Very diverse. Oh, my God. You know what? I think I know so little about my co host. Now is the time to really get to know them. <laughs> Uh, I'm also going to be. Ma- are you? Are you? Uh, what, what? What is that? Macedonian? <laughs> <laughs> I'm also going to be moderating an event on Thursday, March 23rd. Maybe Mike could go if he wants to learn a little bit more about me. It's here uh-huh. in DC. Get on the Amtrak. Uh, it's being put on by the Future Tense section at Slate. It's called "Can Technology Make Sports Safer?" Uh, it's in downtown DC at the New America Foundation. You can reserve a free ticket at slate.com/live. In our bonus segment for Slate Plus members, I thought we would just take that time to reflect on our time together and maybe just tell Mike a little bit more about ourselves. Um, so you can join Slate Plus to hear that conversation, that reminiscence. Cool. It's just... <laughs> I'm eager to find out what conference in college football interests you the most, Josh. It's just $49 a year, Mike. I can, I can slip you a uh, slip you, and you a get 50. a fact hat. Uh, and you'll get uh, bonus segments on this and other Slate podcast every week, plus hat. Sign up at slate.com slash plus. The first few days of March Madness were in March. So they lived up to the name in that <laughs> particular way. Uh, there were no great Cinderella's. There are no buzzer beaters. The theme song was less ba 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 than do ba do ba do ba do ba do ba do but then on Saturday and Sunday, Mike, mm-hmm. the soundtrack sounded a bit more like this. Duke loses. By Villanova. Gonzaga Northwestern, Michigan Louisville, Wichita State Kentucky. Duke loses. Duke loses. Duke loses. Let's start with Duke in South Carolina. Stefan, because Duke lost, you heard the song. That's inherently interesting. But also, there was a kind of manic energy to that game. The Gamecocks wanted 88 to 81. There was a franticness that was just really missing from the rest of the tournament from the first two days in particular. And my like sort of huge observation here is that the quality of the NCAA tournament is highly dependent on the games Hmm. themselves being good. Fascinating. Mm. That Mm. is why. This is why Mike Pesca is leaving the show. (laughs) (laughs) But Duke, South Carolina, your thoughts. 
yes, big lead swings, huge changes. And I think but what you're also alluding to, Josh, is that when panic sets in on Duke's side, it feels like there's more manic energy because you are seeing the, the utter frustration on the face. Or, or at least part of it is also we're projecting. We're imagining that Luke Kennard and Grayson Allen and Mike Krzyzewski are more rattled than your average basketball players and coaches are in situations like these. I mean, it's, there's certainly a schadenfreude effect. When you see Duke start to fall behind by six and then eight and ten with two minutes to go in the game, you're also, you know, you're also hoping that they fail. And so you're seeing them panic and you're That's assuming that it's did. a different kind of panic than any normal panic. There are all sorts of um, good kinds of NCAA tournament games. There's the one where teams are really evenly matched and play a close, um, well-played game. There's the kind where a team that's clearly not as good somehow manages by luck or just playing out of their minds to win a game that they you know, have no right to win. And then there's like the kind of Florida Gulf Coast type game where a team you've never heard of just actually turns out to be better than the team that's much more heralded. And there really weren't like any of those three types of games in the first two days of the tournament. And then in the last two days, like every game was like that, was, was kind of one of those different flavors. Well, I thought, that the, I thought that the games were good, actually, for the first couple of days, although there were no upsets. But there were close games. I mean, a buzzer-beater shot is great. A close game where uh, the SMU guy drives down the lane and, you know, the USC player comes over to, with some great help defense and the ball goes off the rim in what would have been a buzzer-beater is really, I think, quite interesting as well. Or, I Vander, that, like, or the Vanderbilt-Northwestern game. Yeah, a crazy foul that we could debate. I mean, it was a mistake on his part, yet there's some decent evidence that it maybe shouldn't even be counted as a mistake. It was decent strategy. And then, and we'll get to the, if the thesis is, let's talk about the second round. Thank God we've dropped the fiction of having to call the three, third round. Um, if, if we get, if we get to that, we could discuss that Northwestern game. But the first Northwestern game, though, uh, which is the Vanderbilt game we're talking about was amazing. Um, there was some bad refereeing that influenced, say, the Arkansas Seton Hall game, but that went down to the wire. Um, can I do I Mike Pesca? Thought- can I do Mike Pesca's call of the end of the uh, USC game? Uh, the, what was that? USC SMU. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah. tribute show. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. So this no, is Mike Pesca yeah. calling the end of the USC SMU game. The premise here is that he's an announcer who just loves great defensive play at the end of games, even when the shot <laughs> yeah, is missed. And also, I don't know specific names of anyone. <laughs> so you can say the guy and the other guy. SMU guy drives down, down the lane. The ball is up. Oh, what a great contest. Amazing contest. USC wins. Amazing contest. He didn't make the shot. <laughs> he, had to, he had to alter his trajectory. <laughs> USC wins the round. USC, I mean, so here's a team. Uh, a theme of the tournament is teams mounting great comebacks. You know, Iowa State down by whatever, near 15, tie the game. But then the team that had the huge lead pulls it down the end. Perhaps not as satisfying, and perhaps, I mean, clearly and demonstrably. <laughs> Yet that happened quite a bit. I mean, USC came back and beat Providence. They were down by 17 in that game we were talking about against SMU. They came back. And even in the game that they lost against Oregon, they were down by 10, and they they went in front. So I thought that I thought there was a lot to recommend the tournament, even though there weren't uh, the beating of the buzzers. Uh, USC and Rhode Island, commonly uh, confused. But Rhode Island was the, oh. the team that was losing to Oregon. Um, 
USC, right, USC to Baylor. It's that they were both wearing garish uh, yellow jerseys, <laughs> mm-hmm. so I got a little confused. So back to the Duke game. We talked last week about how a lot of times when there's a so-called upset, you look back five years later, you're like, oh, well, the, the team that was the underdog or the Cinderella actually had the better players. I think this was a game where that is extremely untrue. <laughs> you know, Sundarius Thornwell, great name, seems like a great guy, has an uncle named Country who inspired him to great things. Well, let, what's let his last name? Is it Thornwell? It's Uncle Country. Just Uncle Country. That's all we know. Not enough verification for name of the <laughs> yeah. year. Proceed. Um, Dwayne Notice. I don't think yeah. none of these South Dwayne Carolina from, guys. From another country. None of these uh, South Carolina guys are going to be tearing it up in the NBA. And this Duke team yeah. has an incredibly impressive roster of guys who are, I think, going to be NBA, NBA stars. And so this that is the kind of NCAA game that I really like. When you, and the atmosphere was unbelievable. The games were being played in South Carolina because of HB2. The Duke would have been playing South Carolina in North Carolina and presumably in front of a more partisan Blue Devil audience, although if the game was like in New Jersey, it would have probably been a better better new Duke home game. But HB2 comes back to haunt uh, North Carolina. The game is in South Carolina. Unbelievable crowd. I would guess crowd. most Duke fans were against HB2. That's kind of unfair. Look, if there's ever like one I want take a, of... I want to take an unfair crack at Duke. I'm going to take okay. an unfair crack at Duke. Be gone, sir. Um you know, play play uh, the game in the state with the Confederate flag. That is uh, that is the righteous thing to do. But this team was clearly like carried along by the crowd and played at a higher level than they had this year, and was better than the sum of its parts. And again, the kind of manic energy and the the fact that they were a pressing defense. I love teams that press. I don't think enough teams do it, and that just adds to the sense that like something dramatic and crazy has happened. Duke was not the only high-seeded team to fall, of course. Wisconsin beat Villanova, defending national champion. I did not watch that game, so why don't you guys tell me about it? There was a game where, uh, I guess you could say because Villanova was uh, the defending champion, a number one seed, and I think the number one seed in the 538 projections, although Duke was the betting favorite, we could say, oh, they were the favorite, but also a game where... Uh, I think we might look back and find that Wisconsin certainly had the players to play with Villanova. I don't know that Josh Hart's going to be a great NBA star, although I have a history of bad predictions. Um, I, I definitely think Wisconsin, at least uh, three of their players could go toe-to-toe with Villanova uh, in terms of being great college players. And, you know, Jay Wright had that run, but when you have so many first and second round exits after being the higher seed... Maybe you should. Uh, maybe there's something to that, and I think we saw that in the uh, in the game. The thing that I think is interesting and kind of counterintuitive is a lot of the like you know Kentucky, UCLA, North Carolina have advanced into the Sweet Sixteen, but there's a social mobility in college basketball that we maybe 20 years ago wouldn't have thought was possible at all because like Butler and Gonzaga make it to the Sweet 16 too, and... And Xavier. And they have, like, moved into the upper echelon of college sports. In Butler's case, they moved into the Big East, which gives them more revenue, which they can plow back into the college basketball program. Gonzaga's done it a little differently, staying in the West Coast Conference. But when we talk about, um, you know, the 
Wichita State and the underdog Cinderella teams don't get a fair shake. There are some teams that would have fit into that category a decade or two ago that have, by dint of their continued success and by like a surprising amount of like, again, social mobility and the sport have made themselves elite. So we don't even think of them as being underdogs anymore. Just thought that was interesting. Also, we also don't think of uh, whenever, whatever Gonzaga Gonzaga does because they're Gonzaga. It's a the the doings of a cute upstart and the same is true with saint mary's we're not focusing too much on them maybe because they only won the one game but if there was any other big time if there was a power five school that constructed its roster like saint mary's did and just stocked it with six players from another country can you imagine if calipari did that one year (laughs) the the outrage the torrent of criticism that would come down upon him and you know gonzaga has players from denmark japan canada and france so i'm not it's fine that they do this it's it's perfectly fine i'm just saying that you know uh, we still think of everything they do as permissible because it's not within this power conference but once you're mark few and you've done this for 15 years you know, you become a power conference unto yourself. You have a lot of advantages that these other teams don't. And uh, I don't well, know. Gonzaga also gets old. transfers. I mean, one of their, yeah, uh, two of their best players, Williams Goss and, and Williams, without the Goss, are both uh, transfers from major conference schools. Well, a lot of these schools, a lot of these schools have transfers. The Belgian point guard on uh, Baylor was in my was on Miami last year, and uh, we talked about South Carolina players. There, you know, you you see guys in different uniforms after the year. Wait, I also like Canyon Canyon B- Barry has played for like four different schools. I think just two. No, I think he's at least on his third. Uh, but he's definitely hard getting disag- an advanced degree. Hard disagree. Yeah. Okay. He's definitely getting an advanced degree in, uh, I think, physics. So let's not Under, give him underhand free throws. I think the weirdest game I saw on we over the weekend was the fourth quarter. Women's college basketball tournament, Penn against Texas A&M. Penn went into the final quarter up 21 points. They lost. Really? Biggest loss in the history of the women's tournament. Yeah. Biggest uh, blown lead. Blown lead. I say, I say if they played five, Baylor would have lost that 79-point lead. <laughs> <laughs> Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. On Saturday night in San Diego, the United States beat the Dominican Republic 6-3 to to advance to the semifinal round of the World Baseball Classic, the quadrennial tournament pitting national teams against each other for the right to host an unnamed silver trophy that, according to a press release from 2006, took Tiffany & Co. master artisans more than 200 hours to create. Just bake in a couple minutes next time to name the trophy. I think it's called like the Baseball Trophy, World Baseball Classic Trophy. I'm going to stick with unnamed The U.S. is closer uh, to hoisting said trophy thanks to the daring do of center fielder Adam Jones, who robbed his Baltimore Orioles teammate Manny Machado of a home run in the seventh inning of that win over the DR. Here's how it sounded on MLB Network. 
Hit well out to right center field. Jones still on the move, running out of room, and he makes the catch! Oh, come on in! The local guy saves the day. Wow, that was awesome. Now, here it is on ESPN Deportes. Eleva Machado, profundo por el central. Jones va para atrás, se estira y atrapa. Pincelada defensiva de Adam Jones. Le robó el cuadrangular a Manny Machado. Profundo central. And now... I want to have a bilingual baseball podcast called Profundo. That's what I'm leaving to do. My bilingual baseball podcast, Profundo, Profundo Central. Con Mike Pesca. Con Miguel Pesca. Uh, there are a bunch of good breakdowns of the catch written over the weekend, but what made it really spectacular was the patriotic tableau behind Jones as he leaped over the wall to take away the potential Homer, uh, you're looking at the photo, Mike. Tell us, tell us what you see. Flags. I see American flags. And I see Americans backing up Jones. Not trying to steal the ball from him, but backing him up. Except for the guy in the black sweatshirt. Possibly a Canadian. <laughs> and I see Americans saying, if there is, the, if there is a wall, well, I'm not going to pay for it. Because Adam Jones can scale that wall. Uh, okay, maybe I'm reading a little too much into it at that point. So this suggests a couple of things. Number one... The center field wall in San Diego's uh, uh, stadium is low. Is very low, which I think all stadiums should have low walls. Thoughts, Stefan? Great. Um, the other thing is that more people need to wear American flag bandanas, just in all tie at all times. Back to the life. wall. Joe, Joe Pizanski actually did a, a piece about best home run denying catches. And the, one of the common threads is the low wall. Um, the low wall really adds to that yeah, excitement. Uh, undeniable. So Machado tipped his helmet towards Jones after uh, the catch. And that's kind of out of a piece of this tournament is that there's been a kind of playfulness and joy among the players. You could see it in that um, instance, but also like that they're not doing that like unwritten rules bullshit where if somebody like does something cool you immediately want to injure them yeah um so that's been a good thing i would say well that's maybe because it's only in the united states where the unwritten rules are unwritten rules like that right it does seem like if the united states is the only one intent on enforcing its rules and they don't seem that intent on the enforcing their rules then it's going to be a uh, fun game so the question then is who is responsible for imposing these kinds of rules? If the players all seem to embrace the idea that this is fun and we should applaud great plays, and you see that happen. Braves and Yankees season. catcher Brian They're teammates, of course. They're teammates. But they're they teammates. They like each other. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. really, well, they're all friends too. I mean, it's sort of the, the, the notion that we forget in pro sports is that you know, in a lot of ways it's like – the, the sheep and the wolf and the cartoon, Ralph and what's his name, going to work in the morning, punching George, the clock. Right? George, yeah. And then at the end of the day, they morning say goodnight George. and they leave. Morning, George. Uh, morning, Ralph. It, they respect each other. They respect what they're doing and they embrace the, the joy in the game. It's like this sort of outside influence that leads people to sort of start behaving this way and thinking that you got to behave. <laughs> outside to influence. Yourself. What do you think? It's the Russians? I think it's the Russians. 
Yeah. <laughs> these dudes Comey like denies it. No, these dudes are taught by managers and by uh, you know their some of their peers that there are certain things you so they abide can by the, the group think. Yeah, and there are some people who it's called inf- the pool think in the WBC, but we understand. <laughs> there are some people who enforce that like twisted logic, but the people who are on these rosters, I think recognize it's a just a good combination of a sporting event that people take the exact right amount of seriously because there is a pride in I think more so in the countries that aren't the US, but the US players who have signed up are like they're into it and want to win. Um they do really want to win, but they realize like this is not Something that I, um, you know, this is not my main job. This right. is like a sidelight sort of thing. And this is like a f- fun um, event for fans. And we're going to be like, have a good time. It's like, this is like what the all-star games should be like. You Compete, it, but it happen- also recognize that it's a game. Well, it happens rarely enough. And the stakes are high enough that you get good players that actually try. Um, but they still behave as if this isn't as serious as like the, you know, the actual world series. Well, well, I would also say that the sport of baseball is, uh, is the one sport that really lends itself to this the most because going all out. Okay. Going all out on an individual play. Uh, you, there are pitch limits with pitchers. But other than that, you can go all out on every play. You never take any ounce off of defense. What would what would that be? How does that help you? <laughs> Sit down. Yeah, right. Jump, leap, <laughs> leap, leap against the wall, but crouch. So, you know, basketball, it, obviously in the FIBA championships, international play, they are trying hard, but that's why an all-star game in basketball is unsatisfying, matador defense. Football, it's totally... Uh, you can't you can't do it at all because it's a blood sport. And hockey, you know, no one wants to check and get hurt. So baseball is the one sport where a WBC type event really, really works. And it's kind of like a perfect all-star game. I would push back on that a little with hockey because the Olympics and the world championships, those players do take it seriously. And there is a tremendous amount of pride on the line for Canada, the United States, and those European countries too. And I think we should end by noting uh, with total honesty and transparency that like this has been a fun tournament and event but like we saw the highlight of this because it was an awesome play it's not like we were watching i watched a little bit the game game. i watched the first dominican u.s game and it's entertaining when you turn it on and people should turn it on it is entertaining when you turn it on but i don't think we should overstate like the kind of uh level right yeah yeah i just checked StubHub, and you could get to the uh the championship game at Dodger Stadium for 12 bucks. So it's not like the hottest ticket in town. You should go, though. It'll be good. You got plenty of time <laughs> on your hands now, Pesca. That's right. Spend, I want to spend more time with Adam Jones. And who took the photo, Stefan? The photo was taken by Gregory Bull of the Associated Press. And it really is worth scrutinizing because there is a sort of range of emotion among the fans. And Jones's positioning is just beautiful. It's very balletic. Arms are extended in a sort of straight line. One knee is bent a little bit. Foot is tucked back. His torso is above the the top of the fence. It's a lovely photograph. Great torso placement. Can you set the stage a little bit so people understand what happened? 
1969, 14 black student athletes were kicked off their university's American football team for planning a show of support against racism. We were really protesting our treatment on the field. Amazing Sports Stories from the BBC World Service tells their story. We became brothers that day when you did that to us. We made a change. Fighting for what we deserve. Search for Amazing Sports Stories wherever you get your BBC podcasts. On July 3rd, 2006, the Pittsburgh Pirates beat the New York Mets 11-1 behind six innings of one-run ball from lefty Paul Mahalam. Also on that date, a reporter from New York, New York, appeared on the long-running quiz show Jeopardy to match wits with Judy Rudnick and Susanna Jacobson. (laughs) (laughs) Mike was in the lead going into Final Jeopardy but could not come up with the correct answer to the Final Jeopardy question in the category Oscar-winning singers. Oh, that's all we have time for on the show. Mike, it's been great having you on Hang Up and Listen. You just said some facts. I can't dispute these facts, yes. (laughs) So that that question was... Two of the four people who've had a Billboard number one pop album and also won a regular acting Oscar. We'll let all of you guys think about that and have that rolling around in your head as we go through this segment. Now, so again, two of the four people who've had a number one pop single and <laughs> number one album, album, Mike. Really? No wonder you got it. Was it album? Wrong. It was album. Hmm. Also okay. won a regular acting Oscar. Okay, there you go. Now, ten and three quarters years later, Mike Pesca has a chance for redemption. Judy Rudnick is not walking through that door. Susanna (laughs) Jacobson is not walking through that door. Alex Trebek and Johnny Gilbert, who is still alive at 92 and presumably Uh is ambulatory, they are not walking through that door. This is Pesca Jeopardy. Here is today's contestant, a podcast host from Long Island, New York, Mike Pesca. And we are your hosts of Pesca Jeopardy, Josh Levine and Stefan Fatsis. The rules of Pesca Jeopardy are as follows. There is only one Pesca Jeopardy round. Do not pace yourself for double Pesca Jeopardy because it does not exist. There are five categories on the board, which we will read aloud momentarily, and three clues in each category worth 200, 400, and 600 Pesca bucks. Pesca bucks are not redeemable for American dollars, <laughs> but if you answer every question correctly, you will win a catamaran. There is one daily double on the board, and there is a final Pesca Jeopardy round, which will begin as soon as we decide that this segment is getting a bit stale. All right. Let's turn our attention to the board and these categories. Furry friends, multimedia, alt sports, brought to you by, and potpourri. Mm. Mike, yeah, you have control of the board. You start. Mm-hmm. I'll take furry friends for 200, fake Alex. This mascot of your local ice hockey team, the New York Islanders, was borrowed from an earlier stint with this team, of this professional sports league. Who are, who are the uh, New York Dragons of the Arena Football League? I'll also need the name of the mascot, Mike. Uh, who is Sparky? That is correct. We have Sparky bobbleheads in our house. I'll take multimedia for 200. In 2010, you were on an airplane watching the highlights of this star football player and documentary subject 
when the passenger next to you leaned over and said in awe, who is that? And while I've got your attention, who are you? Um, who is O.J. Simpson? That is incorrect. Would you like another guess? Okay. Pesca Jeopardy, uh, the rules are very lenient. <laughs> who is, uh, what's his name? The best there never was. That was Hawk, right? Hawk talking? It was that Jonathan was... Hawk talking. That but is I correct. Forgot. Who is Marcus hmm. Dupree? I'll take uh, multimedia for 400. On the 2013 children's CD compilation, Calhoun Kids for Kids, the New York Knicks are, quote, a team that can beat anyone. But they don't always do that, even though they do this. Uh, Let's see. Who do you like better, the Knicks (laughs) or the Nets? I like the Knicks because they do the tricks. Uh, The Knicks are a team that can beat anyone. But though they practice a lot, they that don't get correct. it done. They, <laughs> no, they practice, practice a practice lot. What is practice yeah. a lot is correct. <laughs> they practice a lot. <laughs> I'll take first. <laughs> there we go. Beat anyone, but though they practice a lot. They don't always win. Bring it home. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's on heavy rotation to this day. I'll take furry friends for 600, foe Alex. In a 2016 afterball, you speculated that baseball player Coco Crisp might have been nicknamed in honor of this serial shilling pachyderm. Who is the uh, Coco Crispy's elephant? I have no <laughs> more specific information. Uh, not quite. Coco? <laughs> not quite. That is incorrect. The correct answer. <laughs> the correct answer is Tusk, the elephant. Tusk. Let's, li- let's listen to that clip. Keep in mind that he was born in 1979, and among their mascots were Jose, a chimpanzee named Jose. Snagglepuss was the spokesperson, the spokes mascot. Og the caveman took over in 1968. This is still nine years before Coco was born. Tusk the elephant was the mascot from 1971 to 1982. I even remember Tusk the Elephant and his jingle like you do it from Don't remember memory. enough to answer this it's time question. time for Coco Krispies. They are so chocolatey. So and when I get when a taste of them, I trump it happily. So, Mike, I believe you're now at minus 200, which is both All the right. best and worst anyone has ever done on Pesca Jeopardy. And I hate yeah. to slow you down. I'm really yeah. sorry to slow you down. But we have to take a commercial break. Mike Pesca, it says here you're an amateur vexillologist. What does that no. mean? That means I have not gotten paid for my love or knowledge of flags, but, you know, I put my heart into it. I think about flags a lot. I try to teach the younger generation about flags and spread the uh, love and wealth throughout my community. I've decided to spend a lot more time with my flags. <laughs> Fascinating. Back to the board. Mike, you're in control. Alt sports for 200, fake Alex. You speculated that it will either be a watershed or a death knell for this professional sport when a dog makes a roster. What is ultimate? What is ultimate Frisbee? That's correct. The moment a dog is rostered on one of these teams will be a watershed or a death knell for the league. Um, I mean, yeah, that would be terrible. (laughs) <laughs> Terrible. He's going with death now. You're back to you're back to zero. Congratulations. All right. Alt, alt sports for 400, please, Alex, who's not Alex. 
You were not amused in 2016 when base jumper Steph Davis oh compared gosh. the risk of jumping off a mountain in a squirrel suit to this disease and this recreational activity. Uh, what is lung cancer and vexillology? <laughs> I'm afraid that's incorrect, Mike. What are diabetes and swimming in the ocean? That's the name of my new podcast, by the way. <laughs> We're not going with uh, Profundo Central. I'll take, uh, let's finish out the category, this decidedly mixed category for me, with Alt Sports for 600. In 2011, you apologized to fans of the Canadian Football League for erroneously claiming that the original length of a quarter was this unit of measure. Oh, what is Celsius? <laughs> you know, I have to admit that while I got those facts wrong last week, over the course of my career, I have made several errors in statement and fact regarding the CFL, and I would like to take this opportunity to correct those errors forthwith. Here goes. It is not true that the Tiger Cats wonder why the other team doesn't call themselves the British Columbia Lion Cats. That is not true. The original length of a quarter wasn't quote, however long it took for an average man to grow frost on his whiskers. That is not true. Alan Thicke never existed. It is not the case that Bachman-Turner Overdrive in halftime of the 78th Grey Cup was forced to perform a medley, which include the lyrics, taken care of nothing yet. That did not happen. Guys named Gord were not banned in the 40s. The lyrics, when they left fully loaded. All right. Wow. What am I at now? You're at minus, you're at minus a thousand. Okay, I'll have to uh, win. I'll have to sweep this category. Let's go to brought to you by for two hundred. In a commercial on a New York Mets broadcast that you played as part of a two thousand six sixteen after ball, <laughs> this Mets reliever came on to protect a lead just as oh, corrections man. officers <laughs> protect New York City's jails. Two thousand sixteen. <laughs> Okay, uh, the skinny guy from the White Sox, uh, uh, the setup man who uh, blew it for, ah, uh, who is Neil? Is his first name Neil? It is not. All right, what is, who was it? His first name, I'll give you a clue, is also a featured character in a beloved children's allegory. Uh, who is Harry Potter <laughs> Familia? <laughs> Let's uh, let's play the clip. Let's see what the Mets have done with this particular situation. Mets with a three to one lead on to protect it is Hansel Robles, just as Norman Seabrook and the Corrections <laughs> Officers Benevolent Association protect it, patrol the toughest precincts in New York. Oh my God. The jails, Coba, New uh, York's boldest. Oh my God! You're minus right. one thousand two hundred. Uh, same category, four hundred. <laughs> It's the Daily Double, Mike Pesca. How much okay, now I know the rules are that I could bet the maximum dollar value on the board, but can I just bet however much in the hole I am to get back to zero? Sure. All right, I'm going to bet that much. How much is it? Twelve. I think 1200 1200 Okay. Your discussion of Magic Johnson's endorsement of a predatory luxury goods leasing company called Rent-A-Center was part of this segment on the very first episode of Hang Up and Listen on July 9th, 2009. Oh, so it's this was our first after ball, right? Yes. Uh, what is our first after ball? Are you asking me to name what our first after ball was? Yes. Was, was it the Gulagang? 
<laughs> I'm afraid that's incorrect. The correct answer is what are little dribblers? Little I'm sorry, dribblers. Mike. Little dribblers. All right. Little dribblers. I don't know that I can possibly have enough to qualify for Final Jeopardy, but let's maybe do potpourri for 600 just in case I can't. In a 2016 afterball, you invented this imaginary player to determine whether Joe Montana is a good name for an NFL quarterback. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Who is uh, Bob Dakota? Oh, so, so close. So close. Let's, uh, let's go to the audio for that one. Then I got to the one that confounds everything, and I'd like you guys to weigh in if this is a good name or a bad name. Joe Montana. Because he was so good, we think of him as this mythical figure, and maybe it's a uh, Paul Bunyan-esque. But really, if Joe Montana were bad, wouldn't we be saying things like, oh, Jesus, who's he putting under center? Joe Montana? And the way I proved to myself that Joe Montana was actually a bad name is I concocted a similar name, very linguistically, stylistically Mm -hmm. similar, Bob Wyoming. Ladies and gentlemen, oh. <laughs> starting for your San Francisco 49ers, it's Bob Wyoming. So I don't think Joe Montana was a good name. I have to say, that was a good point. I think I raised a good point. You've, so uh, you're now at minus 3,000, which is an excellent score for Pesca Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If the thing is, I, I know that Carmen C would beat me at this. Uh, why, don't you, why, don't you go, why, why don't you go potpourri for 400? Yeah, let's that, go potpourri 400. Hi, Mike. This person, me, won your hang-up and listen weekly trivia so often that he had yeah. to be designated champion emeritus and barred from competition. Who is Carmen C? Yes. 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 That's Carmen okay. C. Hang up and listen. Trivia champion. Should we go to one? We haven't done brought to you by, so let's go to brought to you by for 600. In 2012, you noted that an advertisement for male enhancement pills included an offer of a dinner with football coach slash boner pill salesman Jimmy Johnson and other Extends users. You suggested the table at such a dinner should be this high off of the floor. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I remember the premise of many of my <laughs> afterballs, just not the details. So now what I have to do is try to figure out what the funniest joke would be <laughs> and to see if our sensibilities have changed since 2012. Uh, what, is, what is six to eight inches off the ground? Let, I'm afraid. Let's listen, to the, let's listen to the clip. I say go long with extends. Oh, my God. I do. Stop the tape. <laughs> I'll spare you the rest of the segment. But they actually offer a dinner with Jimmy Johnson and other Extends users. <laughs> Let's hope the table is about four feet off the ground for that. Okay. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> that's probably funny. That was funny. That was good. Let's go to Furry Friends 400. As discussed in a 2012 afterball, in 1948, this university student newspaper revealed the nickname of the new mascot of the Wichita State Wheat Shockers, Wooshak, whom you described as a piece of wheat. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is uh, the Daily Wichita? <laughs> and in 1948, the university used a nameless shock of wheat as its symbol. <laughs> 
So this brought up two issues. One, we have a piece of wheat as our symbol, which seemed not to bother the Wichita State crowd, and that's fine. But the thing that did is this guy needs a name. Classic student caption contest, and Wushak was named in the October 1948 issue of the Sunflower, the official student newspaper. Mm, it's also good. the official state flower of Kansas, as you know. Yeah. As yeah. we know. As we know. That's good. All right. That's two good. more questions on the board, a chance right. for, for redemption. All right. Let's go with uh, Potpourri for 200. In 2013, Matt Bonner told you a story about getting elbowed in the head while playing basketball in Europe, an injury that caused blood to pour from his forehead like a faucet. Bonner was subsequently stitched up by a member of this profession. What is dentistry? That is correct. Let's listen to Matt Bonner uh, tell the story because it's funny. So they they, uh, drew a map where the doctor's office was doctor's office was here he's using the air quotes and i walk in and, and our team doctor uh greets me and takes me into his room and there's a like a dentist chair and i'm like this is odd <laughs> i sit down in the dentist chair i'm looking there's all the dentist things and he you know the thing in your mouth he puts it on my head and takes the stitches out <laughs> i'm like okay and i'm, I'm I, I for some reason i'm like maybe he just didn't have any space and i walk out and sure enough, I look in all the rooms, and there's, like, dental hygienists cleaning people's teeth. And I found out he was a dentist. That's how I found out. After he took the stitches out, did he ask you to spit? <laughs> <laughs> and finally, let's go to uh, multimedia. Multi- multi- okay, yeah. For 600. <laughs> in a 2011 discussion of NHL goal horns, you described the Buffalo Sabres horn heard here. You described that horn as the blank of goal horns. The the barrel over Niagara Falls, the made of the mist crashing upon the rocky shoals, the entirety of the population of Canada streaming down north of the border (laughs) all at once, the Don Cherry of goal horns, or any of those right? (laughs) None of those are right. Let's listen to the right answer, which is one of my my favorite moments of uh, Mike Pesca. And here's number four, Buffalo Sabres. Well, that is a full-throated horn. It's got a nice sort of subtle emergency signal in the background, kind of an ambulance thing going on there. I like that. I detected hints of oak also. The thing just never ended. <laughs> that was the Showa of horns. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was a simpler time. <laughs> oh, that means we are out of time for our regular round, but Mike Pesca... You have qualified for final Pesca Jeopardy. Our category is On Broadway. In your 2012 NBA-themed adaptation of the Broadway classic Oklahoma, this player logs one assist a game. Mm. Okay, I'll give my answer, and I'll take you through my thought process. I know that... We talked about Del Curry with the fringe on top. I guess I couldn't think of Stephen Curry with the fringe on top. Maybe he wasn't that prominent a player then. But also, I remember that Oklahoma Serge Ibaka comes sweeping down the lane. And since lane kind of rhymes with game, I'm going to say Serge. Who is Serge Ibaka? 
Oklahoma, Russell Westbrook comes sweeping down the lane uh, because you know he can't defer to Durant. Derek Fisher logs one assist a game. All right. All right. Okay. Has Pesca Jeopardy been everything that you imagined it would be? Yeah, I say a lot of stuff that I have no memory of. (laughs) That's really good to know. I actually thought you would do a lot better. Yeah, if anyone's going to do better in Pesca Jeopardy, I think you guys would have done better in Pesca Jeopardy. Whereas I'd have I'd have crushed it in um, in uh, Fats's Password or uh, Levine Classic Concentration. Levine Tack Doe. (laughs) <laughs> i'll take levine for the block um well that was fun i think i hope levine so it's a square <laughs> this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance hey listeners whether you love true crime or comedies celebrity interviews news or even motivational speakers you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue right and guess what now you can call the shots on your auto insurance too Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now it is time for After Balls. And this uh, special episode's After Balls are going to be called Lambs. Uh huh. According to Brian Ludwig. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Mike's nickname in college yeah. was Lamb. Uh, do you want to yeah. explain the derivation of that? Well, as you know, as a Jet fan, I was huge, uh, hugely partial to Johnny Lamb Jones. <laughs> no, that's not the derivation. It's that th- it's the part of the Passover Seder where they reference the Paschal Lamb. So they thought the Paschal Lamb. He also said that Seder you were, jokes. <laughs> he also said that you were shaggy at the time. Uh-huh. That was a little yeah. like double meaning. Yeah. All right. So this is usually <laughs> where I would ask Mike for his hey, scoob. <laughs> this is usually where I would ask Mike for his lamb, and he would regale us with the history of various breakfast cereal mascots. But today yeah. we're doing something a little different. On this show, we usually say what we want to say and then move on. There's very little accountability, for instance, when we make a specific claim or prediction. As we're sending Mike off, we thought it would be a good idea, or at least an idea, to go back through our seven-plus years of shows and find his most notable prognostications and oh, see how they hold up. So, oh, God. First up, yeah, yeah, springing this on you, I know. I'm going to be called to account, let's say. We're going to play an excerpt from the show from 2010 on the episode right before LeBron James was going to announce whether he was staying in Cleveland or heading to another team or another city. Mm-hmm. Here's what you said then, Mike. There is no way that he is leaving Cleveland. There is no way that LeBron James, with everything he's built up in Cleveland, with his entire persona, and also with not getting the job done, there's no way the guy's leaving Cleveland. Why are we even talking about it? He's just clearly milking the moment, or, you know, people around him have told him, don't come out with a rush decision. But this is the biggest kind of non-conversation, non-event I've ever thought of. The answer to the question everybody wants to know, LeBron... 
What's your decision? Um, in this fall, man, it's, it's very tough. Um, in this fall, I'm going to take my talents to South Beach and um, join the Miami Heat. Yeah, nobody saw that coming. So oh. you're forgiven, Mike. All right, All right let, let's move on to a show from let's having go ahead, go. called it that way. But okay, go ahead. Yeah. So let's move on to a show from last year. This went live right before the men's basketball national championship game between North Carolina and Villanova. Here's the problem with Villanova, because I'm a fan of the Big East and I watch them all year. They're not going to come through in the clutch. If this is at all a close game, if this comes down to a last possession or last shot, Villanova just can't get the job done. Sorry to be so blunt about it. This is just how, I mean, I've watched a lot of their games. That's just how I see it. Length of the court with Archie Diakono. Three seconds at midcourt. Jenkins gives it to Jenkins for the championship. I don't remember them killing the North Carolina players oh, yeah. after the basket. Yeah, I also remember there, there'd be no confetti on the court predicting that. Okay, so that's 0 for 2. But surely I got some right. Yeah, to be clear, we're not doing this to make you look bad. This is really all we could find when we Googled just When Mike. I went out there on the limb? Okay. No, this I just Googled Mike Pesca awful predictions, and this is just what came up. So, Oh, wait, awful predictions? Well, why didn't you Google all predictions? <laughs> it was an X. I, my, the keys were stuck on my keyboard. Right. All, when you do Mike Pascal prediction, predictive text. <laughs> you do predict, it's, it's and then awful. it goes predictions yeah. awful. Yeah. 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 All right, let's move on. Maybe this next one will be better. In 2013, Mike, you made a very specific remark, strangely specific, hmm. just before the national championship football game between Alabama and Notre Dame. This was on ESPN and called by the legendary uh, announcer Brent Musburger. I would just say, no matter who wins, Notre Dame, Alabama, there's one winner in all of this, and that's we, the home viewer, because Brent Musburger will be announcing the game, and he is just a model of decorum, forward thinking, and, and, and just progressive thought on issues of feminism and sexism. And that's what we're going to hear tonight. Now, when you're a quarterback at Alabama... You see that lovely lady there? She does go to Auburn. I want to admit that. But she also, this Alabama, and that's A.J. McCarron's girlfriend, okay? And right there on the right is D.D. Bonner. That's A.J.'s mom. Wow, I'm telling you quarterbacks, you get all the good-looking <laughs> women. Ah, it's a, what a beautiful woman. Wow, he's, A.J.'s doing some, some things right down in So if you're a youngster in Alabama, start getting the football out and throw it around the backyard with pop. Was that was that Kirk was that Kirk Herbstreet as his sideman? That was pl- playing the role of Billy Bush in that particular <laughs> clip. By far, the best part of that clip was Pop <laughs> with Pop. But the best part of the Pesca clip, I want to go back to the Pesca clip, was the way you say Brent because it reminds me of the way you said Blake Bortles in another afterball. Bortles. <laughs> All right, we've got one more, Stefan. All right, I'm going to do this one, Mike. Uh, in 2012, we were talking about your favorite football team, the New York Jets. And the topic of the quarterback at the time, the Sanchez, Mark Sanchez, <laughs> came up. And here's what you had to say. So, guys, uh, heading into this Thanksgiving Day game, uh, Jets, 
Patriots. Obviously, we know the Patriots are the better team. But I just see Sanchez resting away, if not the victory, the narrative, showing Jets and Jets fans that he is a trustworthy source under center. I don't see him having many turnovers. I see him helming the team ably. And if he does have a turnover, I saw this in Vegas. It seemed like an odd prop bet. Uh, Will he fumble off the center's rear end? I just can't see that happening. I am going to predict right here that he will in no way lose the ball after a collision with the gigantic ass of Brandon Moore, his center. Why would that? I can't recall that ever happening. And for that to happen in this game would just be so odd. This this posterior uh, turnover, this, I don't know, butt fumble, were it to happen, perhaps that what they that's what they will call it. But I just can't see that happening. Your thoughts? I have never seen this before in my life. Watch this. Vince Wilfork is going to throw Brandon Moore back into his quarterback. He's going to fumble the football. Mark Sanchez not expecting it, and it was the backside of Brandon Moore that knocked the ball out. In a way, your prediction was right. Yeah. You, you prophesied what was yeah. going to happen. I mean, I guess the Vegas line setters. Well, I really thought, it, yeah, it, it's really odd. It. It's an, it's an odd, yeah. It's the like posterior proudly, turnover was like a better, proudly, was a better name for it. Yeah, it's like proudly proclaiming in like 2003 that there's no way Trump will be president when he never really talked about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, mixed record, I would say. Yeah, you got, you got yeah. some things right, some things wrong. Mm-hmm. I knew, I knew Villano. I knew Musburger would be announcing the game. <laughs> Stefan, uh, do you have a lamb for us? A special uh, Pascal lamb, perhaps, on this special day? I do. <clears throat> and as we were preparing this tribute show, I wanted to better understand the source, the wellspring of Mike Pesca's genius. So I Googled his bio. The old NPR bio came up, third after Wikipedia and Slate. Still pretty strong. Mm-hmm. NPR listeners, long memories, very loyal. And it says this. A believer in full disclosure, Pesca rates his favorite teams as the Jets, Mets, St. John's Red Storm, and Knicks, teams he has covered fairly and without favor, despite the fact that they have given him a combined one championship during his lifetime as a fully cognizant human. All right, so I checked some of the advanced metrics, the analytics. Mike Pesca was born on December 29, 1971. The Knicks won a championship in 1973. The Mets right. won a championship in 1986. That's right. two championships. Now, I know what you're going to say. Pesca was not fully cognizant when the Knicks won the NBA title on May 10th, 1973, with a 102-93 win over the Lakers in Los Angeles in Game 5. You know who the refs were for Game 4? Daryl Garrettson and Mendy Rudolph, NBA legends. But if you know anything about Pesca, you know that he sprung from the womb like Athena from Zeus's head. Though I will note that a Greek scholar named Pseudo-Apollodorus, Apollodorus, the ancient Greek dinosaur, he said that actually Prometheus or Hephaestus split open Zeus's head with an axe to free Athena, which must have really hurt. Anyway, Jean Piaget's stages of childhood development would put Pesca in the sensory motor stage when the Knicks won in 73. And if you doubt that his sensory perceptions at 16 months... Pesca's, not Piaget's, were not more like those of any other human in the pre-operational stage of development. Well, you're probably more of a Lev Vygotsky or Eric Erickson guy, and wrong. But this raises troubling questions about Pesca's fandom. Mike Pesca grew up on Long Island. 
He's not embarrassed. He saw Depeche Mode and White Snake at Jones Beach in 1988. He admits it. He also went to Islanders games at the Nassau Coliseum. He can tell you that the 1987-88 Islanders were coached by Terry Simpson, captained by Brett Sutter, and went 39-31-10 and and lost in the division finals to the Devils in six games. He doesn't include the Islanders on his list of favorite teams. That's like Henry Kissinger saying his favorite diplomatic crises were China, Vietnam, Chile, and Northern Cyprus, and leaving off Rhodesia and East Timor. All right, fine. But the Knicks? We have talked about the diversity that Mike and I brought to this show. Westchester and Long Island, growing up in the 70s and the 80s, the Whitestone Bridge and the Throgs Neck Bridge, calling the John Sterling show as a 10-year-old, and calling the Greg Buttle show as a 10-year-old. But the single defining attribute of living in these places is geographical fan identity. Westchester is Yankees, Giants, Rangers, Knicks. Long Island is Mets, Jets, Islanders, Nets. You put the Knicks on your list, Pesca, the Knicks. I reached out for an explanation to Pesca's buddies, Mike, Brett, and Paul. You remember them from the time Pesca read their Jets texts for an afterball, which was totally (laughs) heading toward a Godwin's Law moment. All right, I didn't really reach out to them. But from the time Pesca was born and through their first season in the NBA, 76-77, the Nets played at the Nassau Coliseum. That was a bad year because they were forced to sell Julius Serving to the Sixers. They finished last in the Atlantic Division just a year after winning the ABA championship. Another championship, by the way, in Mike's lifetime, in addition to the 73-74 title when the Nets beat the Utah Stars in the final. You know who was on that Utah team? That's right, Selmo Beatty. Pesca was five when the Nets moved to New Jersey, which is like 10 for a normal fan. If you were born on Long Island in the 1970s, you should be a Nets fan. The Nets are like the vestigial tail of Long Island, which is, after all, shaped like a tail. Not liking the Nets is like Douglas Futuma arguing that you could have vestigial tails without evolution. It's like if Schrodinger's cat and Sigmund Freud's dog, the second one, Yofi, a chow, the first one got lost at the Salzburg train station. That was Lanyu. Like they live oh. next door to each other, but never knew it. You know who else had dogs? Charles Darwin. They were named Bob and Polly. What I'm trying to say is that it's like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and the five stages of grief, but Pesco only included four teams on his list and said they gave him one championship in his cognizant lifetime and the Islanders would be the fifth team. But he knows that if he included the Islanders, it would ruin the conceit because the Islanders have won four Stanley Cups. All of them when Pesca was definitely cognizant, plus the two Nets championships. So with the Mets and the Knicks, that's eight total for Pesca. Seven without the Knicks, not one. Anyway, the point is you can't go Mets, Jets, and then Knicks. It's Mets, Jets, Nets. Has to be. They were named that way for a reason. You know who else played at the Nassau Coliseum in the 70s? The New York Sets, World Team Tennis. They were some great names in World Team Tennis. The Boston Lobsters, the Philadelphia Freedoms. Elton John wrote Philadelphia Freedom for Billie Jean King, who played and coached the team. I used to be a rolling stone, you know. If the cause was right, I'd leave to find an answer on the road. The San Diego Swingers, the most 70s sports team name of all time. The Sets won the Team Tennis Championship in 1976. So that's nine, eight without the Knicks, and the three St. John's Big East basketball championships, which no one mentions, and NCAA titles in soccer and fencing, Mets, Jets, Knicks, It's as if Woody Allen and Beyonce had a baby. No, no, wait. If Manhattan Society lady Brooke Astor, Brooke Astor, Brooke, who died in 2007, the resulting family feud was huge. If Astor and Gilbert Gottfried, who was born in Brooklyn, which technically is part of Long Island, if they had a baby, how could the baby decide which New York teams to root for? It would be a very confused baby. But it's not as bad as liking the Mets and the Giants, which some people do. But Mike Pesca does not. 
Okay, that's it. That's all I got. Wow. That was, thank you for shining the light on me. That was an amazing tribute. You're telling me I have it much better than I think I have it. You're, this is like lecturing a Trump voter in the industrial Midwest, <laughs> telling me about my privilege. <laughs> thank you, Stefan. <laughs> I will add, though, Mike, that yeah. we kid, we joke, <laughs> but we will all be much poorer without your preternatural gift for the smart, the funny, the quick, the astute, the absurd. It took me like two hours to Google all that shit. Probably oh, my guy, Peter. Wait, whose dogs? Is Schrodinger's cats and dogs? It was amazing. Left one at the train station? That, that was a thing back then? I bet you did go to see Depeche Mode at Jones Beach in 1988. They really did play there. I Googled I that, I just too. have to say, uh, White Snake and Depeche Mode, very different bills, about a month apart. Did you see New Order crowds. there? 1989? New Order? Yeah. Did you? Uh, no, I, I didn't see too much uh, Mope Prague uh, synth rock <laughs> at Jones Beach to see the Almonds. <laughs> I was going to use the Almond Brothers. Shit. I did see the Almonds. Uh, I was going to use that instead of Depeche Mode. Josh, what's your lamb? In the last seven plus years, we've learned a great deal about Mike Pesca as a man and as a uh, sports opinion haver. We know less about Mike as a sports figure, a coach. Mm. An athlete, a wielder of sticks, a batter of balls. The pinnacle of Mike's athletic career came in the early 1990s during his time as an undergraduate at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, when he led the Braves to a thrilling victory in the NLCS under his pseudonym Francisco Cabrera. In addition to that, I have the privilege of sharing two Mike Pesca stories with you today. The first comes from Pete Moore who went to Emory with Mike and also was a counselor with him at Camp Laconda, a premier traditional sleepaway camp nestled in the Catskill Mountains in upstate New York. Mike's tenure at Laconda was perhaps most notable for his time behind the microphone as the voice of the Laconda Lion radio broadcast. Or maybe you're remembering him as the color war general. And he was a victorious general. No uh, Robert E. Lee. But as Mike's friend Pete will now tell us, Pesca's best work came as a third base coach in an intercamp oh. softball game. Oh, oh no. Take it away, Pete. Here we go. This is uh, Pete Moore checking in from Camp Loconda, giving <laughs> my well wishes to Mike Pesca, a leader, a mentor, a motivator, a coach, a guy you want to have on your sideline, whether he's a player, whether he is a participant, whether he's a fan. A man usually in a red sleeveless cutoff shirt at the top mm-hmm. of his arms with a gray Laconda underneath, blue shorts, and one to two knee braces. Now, you want him as a coach, but if you want him as your third base coach in a game of softball, in an intercamp game, you don't want to swing at a 3-0 and pitch with bases loaded and ground out to end the game. Yep. That will make Mike furious. So, Mike, I ask you the question, who was the kid? Adam Duretsky. Who put that into play? I believe it was Duretsky. And I know you'll never forget his name. Well wishes. Was it Duretsky? He said it was something like Duretsky. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was Duretsky. God damn it, Duretsky. Swing it 3-0, and Duretsky. <laughs> what can you tell us about that, uh, that game? Um, I believe we may have lost that one to Kolang, which is uh, the weight loss camp. <laughs> uh, it was shocking to go down to Camp Kolang in such a tight 
tight game. Also, one of the campers on the under-12 team was uh, Peter Schrager, who is now the sideline reporter for Fox uh, football games. And he's a host on the NFL Network. Yeah, yeah. So we taught him. He knows all the signals. So, yeah, I do think it was Duretsky. The worst thing that happened in Camp Laconda, though, was in Color War when Brian Turoff almost uh, sank the canoe in the uh, Apache Relay. By the way, Apache Relay should be at least an event and maybe a miniseries on TV. I mean, it's so fascinating, these these like 70 different events, and everyone has to do one. You don't know. You have to really calculate who would spend the most time trying to find the lifesaver in the bottom of the bowl of whipped cream and who would be really good at sinking a half-court shot. I, I love the uh, strategy of the Apache Relay. Doretsky swinging 3-0, and though. That's a totally different story. Doretsky. Doretsky. All right. My second and final Pesca sports story comes from David Golder, who uh, told me an anecdote about Mike showing up for a midterm only to have the professor tell him it happened two weeks earlier than adding, <laughs> who are you? That's, <laughs> that's, not, uh, that's not the story. Uh, let's not get off track. I would here. at least think <laughs> that the word midterm would indicate when that test might be scheduled. <laughs> Just think what better podcast you would have been on if you had shown up on time for that uh, for that midterm. Uh, here is David with a story about Mike Pesca's athletic prowess. Mike Pesca saved my life. It's true, and it even relates to sports. It's an auto racing story, which is kind of a sport. Mike and I weren't actually auto racing. We were driving back to Atlanta from New Orleans, where we had just celebrated the festivities of Mardi Gras with a bunch of our school friends. There were four of us in a beat-up, dark blue Ford Crown Victoria. It was late at night. We were exhausted, hungover. Mike, who had far more stamina than the rest of us, was driving on Interstate 65 when the back tire on the mighty Crown Vic went flat. And it didn't go flat with a slow, gradual hiss. It basically exploded. After the tire popped, the car swerved out of control, fishtailing all over the road. Other cars on the highway sped around us at 70 miles an hour, narrowly missing us, honking their horns. And it's a good thing Pesca was at the wheel, because just as he could walk into an exam cold and ace it, he was able to ace this driving test while half asleep and hungover. Pesca clutched the steering wheel, regained control of the skidding car, and pulled us off into the breakdown lane. Safe. I owe Mike my life for his strong, steady hands and quick thinking. Side note, Mike saved our lives, but we would still be sitting on the side of the road if it wasn't for our friend Pete, because Pesca didn't know how to change a tire. <laughs> That's true. The four people in that car, Dave Golder, Pete Moore, you heard from both of them, and the fourth passenger, whose name was lost to history until I remembered it, it was Doretsky. <laughs> Doretsky showed up. Do you know how to change a tire today? Uh, I have triple. I concentrate on the uh, spinning, uh, steering into the 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 fishtailing uh, swerve. I still don't know what that means, but I kind of do remember uh, commandeering that car after the blowout. That was that was a time. Uh, that's all we got. We love you, Mike. It's been uh, well, thanks, it's been guys. Fun. I, I've learned so much more about myself, and I think my poor showing in Pesca Jeopardy <laughs> would convince everyone that that is not just bluster. We'd love your feedback on what we talked about today. Um, and you can give us feedback on our survey at slate.com slash survey. Or to, on Pesca Jeopardy. Or on <laughs> Pesca Jeopardy. Or Duretsky, whether he should have had the green light or not. Duretsky. Didn't you, have the green light. Slate.com slash survey. Did not. 
Uh, and you can email us at hangup at slate.com. We'll also gather links to the stories we discussed at slate.com slash hangup. Subscribe to Hang Up and Listen in iTunes. You did, can find us. Did you give him a take signal? Yeah. Yeah. Belt to skin. You sure? Yeah. It was yeah. belt to skin? Yeah. I th- well, it depends what the indicator was, but we definitely gave him the take. You can find us at iTunes.com. Should have been maybe a little less subtle. Hey, Doretsky, don't swing, <laughs> Doretsky. iTunes.com slash late podcast. When you're there, leave us a comment and a rating. Become a fan on Facebook at facebook.com slash hang up and listen. Our intern is Adam Willis. Our producer who did yeoman's work this week is Patrick Fort. Thank you, Patrick. The executive producer of Slate's podcast is Steve Lichtai. And Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. Hang up and listen is part of the Panoply Network. Check out our entire roster of podcasts at iTunes.com slash Panoply. Remember, Mike Pesca. And thank you. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.